0: Post-millennialism, Christians were able to understand end times based on Christian experience. Suppose you were uh, Charles Finney, and you saw the power of God coming, the glory of God coming, and by the time you were done in a village like Rome, New York, every single person in that community had given their lives to Christ because they were dealing with the power and the presence of God, a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. All right, so then you could, based based on that experience, you could imagine a millennial reign that comes from that experience magnified and spread throughout all of the earth. And so that's what post-millennialism is. It's It's an understanding that the end time is going to be simply... An increase of the power of the Holy Spirit along uh, 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 in all the nations of the earth. When we're dealing with pre-millennial teaching, however, we don't have that privilege because premillennialism teaches Jesus coming down out of heaven and touching back on the earth and reclaiming the earth, literally coming back to the Mount of Olives. He will come back the way he went up. And so it teaches that Jesus is coming back to rule on earth. And clearly the pictures that describe what this is going to be like are nothing like what it was when he came the first time. So even going back and looking at the way it was the first time is not a very good imagination for the way it's going to be when he comes back. So we have no human experience, no basis for imagining what this is going to be like. And for that reason, most Christian people have not had enough imagination simply to read the scripture and say, wow, won't that be wonderful? Instead, the tendency has been to say, this is just weird. And, and just to drop it. So, for example, John Calvin believed that premillennial teaching was puerile, in other words, adolescent. Uh, you'd have to have a kind of a childish imagination to believe this, was kind of his attitude. And most Christians have not wished to go back to this kind of teaching prior to Augustine and rediscover it and and take seriously the the idea that Jesus is coming back to rule on earth, which is clearly what Jesus himself believed and taught. The other thing is that uh, to to teach serious premillennial teaching, you would have to be willing to challenge one of the pet doctrines of the church ever since the time of Augustine, which is replacement theology. Because clearly, uh, if you take premillennial teaching seriously, God still has a plan for the Jews. There's just no doubt about it. And so you can't believe that we have totally replaced Israel. Um, you have to go back to the original teaching that we are grafted into Israel, which is a different way of understanding our relationship with Israel. And then, of course, you'd also have to uh, give up an exclusive focus on salvation of the soul. Where are we going after we die? Um, Because Jesus coming back to rule on earth has nothing to do with that. And so you'd have to rediscover God's whole heart and his whole desire to redeem all creation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his heart. But you see, the the church has chosen for so long to simply ignore God's heart for redemption of the creation. And you'd have to get that back in order to seriously rediscover premillennial teaching. Jesus is coming back in order to rule on earth, to put down every opposing authority until the earth is brought up to snuff with heaven and the two are in total harmony. That is the picture we get in Ephesians 1, in 1 Corinthians 15, and in Romans chapter 8. And so many passages in the the Old Testament, as well as well as the Book of Revelation. All right. Now, in the 19th century, okay, the, this is as post-millennialism is growing. In the 19th century, there is yet another doctrine. Uh, this is a fourth teaching. Now we got historic premillennialism, amillennialism, post-millennialism, and now this man introduces a way of thinking about pre-millennial teaching without giving up those two pet doctrines, okay? Keep the two pet doctrines. We're still going to believe that Jesus is coming back um, to reign on earth. And the things that are, are, are taught specifically in the book of Revelation are to be regarded as historical events. So, John Nelson Darby lived in the early part of the 19th century and in 1827 came up with a totally new, brand new doctrine called the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now, this is nothing that Jesus taught, nothing that the apostles taught, nothing that the apostolic fathers taught, and so we cannot call this historic premillennialism, but it is a form of premillennialism that has caught on with whole denominations and whole groupings of churches. So what we have to do is to look at this teaching and recognize that it is, shall we say, an an intermediate stage. That's the way I view it as an intermediate thing. God is bringing the church back to consider pre-millennial doctrines, but there is this teaching that is coming in um, that is going to make it acceptable uh, temporarily. And so uh, here's what here's the idea that. Darby said that there's going to be a secret rapture of the church that the Bible does not actually teach. And the church is is just going to be lifted up into the air prior to the great tribulation. And then after that, you have still the people of God, but they're Jews. And so these are called tribulation saints. They're not Christians, they're tribulation saints because they're saints living during the period of time after the pre-tribulation rapture. Now in this way, John Nelson Darby allowed people to think of Jesus coming back to rule on earth but the way it goes is, and, and as you trace this down through history, it becomes more this way, that there actually comes to be two Gospels. There's the Gospel of this salvation by grace, which is the Gospel of the Church, then the Church is taken away, then Jesus returns to the Gospel of the kingdom, which is for Jews, and, and then he, he comes with his kingdom on earth. So this, this is a new dispensation, you see. So it's called dispensational premillennialism. It's, it's, it, it, it theorizes God moving from the church back to the kingdom of the Jews. And so there's a gospel of grace, and then there's the gospel of the kingdom, two gospels. And I have to say to you, There aren't two gospels, there's only one gospel, and it's the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached. And it includes the salvation of our souls, that's part of it, and it is by grace, but it culminates with Jesus' return to the earth to establish this kingdom for a thousand years on the earth. So it's one gospel with all these facets that interconnect and interlock with each other. And so I am really not encouraging anybody to believe uh, in two gospels or in a dispensational way of thinking about things because um, I I don't see any uh, basis for that in the word. Um, It is said that John Nelson Darby got this from a young lady in Scotland um, who claimed to have heard it from the Lord, okay, so a prophecy. I believe in prophecy. I've received many prophecies, and they've been very, very helpful to me. But the Bible tells us to test the prophecies, okay? So we've got to make sure they're really supported in the Word, all right. So, um, in in John Nelson Darby's day, this was tested and it was found wanting. So, for example, in his own denomination, uh, the Plymouth Brethren, Samuel Tregellis, he called it the height of speculative the height of speculative nonsense. Charles Haddon Spurgeon called it unscriptural. Benjamin Warfield, who was probably the most respected theologian, reformed theologian of the day, um, he simply said it was a grievous error. And so the people of John Nelson Darby's day tested this doctrine and found it wanting. Nonetheless, many people uh, have accepted this teaching and um, decided it was perfectly scriptural. Um I agree with Spurgeon and Warfield and Tregellus. I believe that this doctrine is not scriptural. And what I would just simply refer you to is to look at First Thessalonians four sixteen to seventeen, which is the only passage that actually does describe the rapture of the church. And what you'll see there is that Paul says, he says one thing about it. And so this is the one thing we know about the rapture of the church, and that it is the very, very last of the events that happen surrounding the actual return of Jesus Christ. Paul makes a serious point about this, that it's the last of the last of the last. There really is no wiggle room here, none whatever, in the Word of God. And so if you believe in the rapture of the church, the one thing you have to believe about it is what Paul says about it, that it's the last of the events that he lists there as the events associated with the return of Jesus. Many times people insist that the Bible says that we are not destined for wrath, so how can we be allowed to go through the tribulation? Um, The Bible does have many things to say about Christians going through the tribulation, how God is going to protect his people, how we are not destined for wrath. And we'll deal with that in, the, in our teaching on the rapture of the church. We'll look at those passages where, where God is actually giving us uh, serious assurance about that, but none of them uh, mentions a secret rapture of the church. And so we don't have to, to come up with unscriptural doctrines in order to believe that we aren't destined for wrath. If you believe in the teaching that we are going to be taken out of the picture before the end, the, the last uh, horrible sufferings of this earth, what I call the final travail of the earth before the kingdom comes. It, it makes you feel relieved because then you don't have to go through that suffering. But look at it from this side of the point of, 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 the, uh, of the issue. God wants his church to be his royal priesthood and he needs his church to pray for his kingdom. Does it make sense that he would take his church out of the picture just at the time that he needs them to pray the most? Rather, wouldn't it be more acceptable to all of God's teaching about the house of prayer and about um, the royal priesthood to say that he's going to keep his people in a place of safety as they pray and as they bring and birth the kingdom of God on earth. So we'll deal with this kind of teaching more, the authority of prayer in our teaching on prayer when we get around to it. And um, it's just a little bit too much for right now, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is that God needs his church to be in the world as the kingdom is being birthed through prayer. And it simply is not part of his plan to take the church out, even though the church might prefer to be released from the suffering of that period of time. Nonetheless, many high-powered teachers have accepted uh, dispensational premillennial doctrines and have taught them many, many um, excellent teachers, really I mean some of my favorite teachers believe in premillennial dispensationalism um, including um, Moody and R.A. Torrey and many others of the 20th century Um, but I believe in the 21st century now we're going to have to Take what's good out of this. Um, Sift out what isn't really that scriptural. See how the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of the apostolic fathers moves in a slightly different direction but ends up in somewhat the same place as premillennial dispensationalism. And... What we want to do now is to devote the rest of our teaching to historic premillennialism, the teaching of the original gospel about the return of Jesus.